helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we had the pleasure of speaking with a beautiful lady who has emerged from the depths of misery, frustration of powerlessness, humiliation of sexual and physical abuse, heartache of abduction, and loneliness as a homeless teenager and hardships of poverty to rise up and lead a highly successful life as a businesswoman and international motivational speaker. Her grit, determination to turn around her life and overcome adversity, understand life is worth living, be phenomenal and become a successful entrepreneur has led her to inspiring and motivating many people all around the world. She broke through barriers and bounded over obstacles as a young self-taught entrepreneur to transform minibar piccolo into a popular Melbourne cafe, successfully grow finest alterations from a struggling business to a thriving, profitable five-outlet franchise, and at the age of 23, plan and stage the Miss India International pageant, generating $100,000 in ticket sales. This remarkable woman inspires hope, empowers audiences, energizes people, and transforms lives with her moving story, lasting imprint, and infectious optimism. She shares her story and message around the globe on CNN, BBC, and with global companies such as Ritz-Carlton, PwC, Qatar Airways, Colonial, and ANZ. I'm honored and privileged to introduce you to a beautiful soul and beam of life, Lisa Pavlakis. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's nothing but a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's an absolute honor to meet you and um, you've got this beautiful smile, so I'm really looking forward to, to delving into your life and, and some of the amazing experiences and coping strategies and, and ways you lead with uh, our listeners. Sure. Thank you so much. So Be Exceptional is something that resonated with me strongly when I have spoken with you. What does this mean to you? Be Exceptional is my tagline. And um, I think it, it, it really means to be the best version of yourself that you can be. I think life throws so many challenges in our way. It doesn't matter who we are, what road of life that we're going through, uh, walking through. We all have adversities and it's how we choose to handle those adversities that define us. And so I think that we need to be as exceptional as we can be in the way we think about the situations that befall us. Yeah, so it's bringing that, you know, that best version of yourself as you're talking about it. And it doesn't matter what obstacle or what things are thrown at you, it's how you cope with that, how you deal with that, and then how you move forward with it, isn't it? Yes, yes, definitely. I have a very unique story, um, and just like so many other listeners out there that all have their own different story, mine is, is, is different. And uh, I do believe that sometimes in life, nothing happens by accident. That's what I've come to realize now at the age of 42. But I think I need to tell you a little bit about my story myself. Oh, and, and look, please do. So um, at the age of six, I was uh, abused by my, by my uncle, someone that I really loved and trusted. 
I came from a really well-to-do family. My mom was a, a famous pastry chef in Malaysia and my father was a radiologist who were living in Malaysia. Um, whilst my parents were hard at work, my uncle was taking care of me. And unfortunately for me, my uncle was doing things to me that no child should have to endure. It was only when I was about eight years old that I was able to so, sort of articulate what was happening to me and uh, to my mom. But, you know, coming from the cultural background that we come from, but not just like our culture, so many cultures around the world like I know now, um, it was really hard to speak about it. And, and, and when you do speak about it, the best way my family knew how to handle it was to not handle it at all. My parents decided to uh, migrate to Australia when I was 12 years old and um, life in Australia was beautiful. I was living in a land of kangaroos and koalas and, and it was a life far away from my uncle. When I was 14, uh, I was raped by my cousin, someone whom I extremely loved and extremely trusted. When I had the courage to tell my family what had happened, my parents did not know what else to do except to turn a blind eye to what had happened. And, and, and in fact, the whole family in Malaysia, the way that they handled this situation was to turn around and say that perhaps I had a mental disorder, perhaps there was something wrong with me. So I was very young and impressionable and... Um, really going through a lot of hurt. So by the time I was 15, feeling unheard, I had developed depression, not even realizing what depression was. I didn't know the term of depression at that age, but I was really sad. And um, the best way I knew to escape the abuse and the torment that I was going through at home and the discrimination that I was facing was to harm myself. So at 15, uh, coming into 16, I became addicted to suicide. I must have tried so many different colorful attempts, about three different attempts that all failed before I felt the best thing for me to do was to run away from home. So imagine yourself as a 17-year-old girl in the streets of Melbourne, homeless, alone. You know, I, I, I come from a background which is very sheltered from a Malaysian Islamic background, sheltered background. To be on the streets um, was, was scary, was lonely, um, and I had no money, I had no means to, to eat or survive. But um, there was something in me that, that said that, that I wasn't going to give up. Um, and so what I did do was enroll myself in school to finish my year 12 education. Went to school um, and life started to pick up and I met a boy, as you would, impressionable girl. And I thought that my dreams would be answered because finally I met someone that I thought would love me. Unfortunately for me, within six months of the relationship, he was really violent. So by the time I was 18, he hit me so hard that I had to have the right-hand side of my face reconstructed. By the time I was 19, I had the courage to break away from that relationship because I knew that he was probably going to kill me. And um, I said to myself that I was going to do everything in my power to enroll myself into school. Now, my face had just about healed. 
So from looking like a cast member from the Phantom of the Opera to then finally your face being healed, finding all the courage that I could to, to find happiness within me and to educate myself in school, I thought life was, uh, was starting to pick up. And I thought, you know what, I am the master of my destiny and life is going to be good. Unfortunately for me, when I was walking home from school, when I didn't see this coming my way, I was kidnapped by a stranger. I was taken away to a destination that I did not recognize within Melbourne. And I was tortured for eight hours before I was almost murdered. After eight hours of being tortured, you think you're going to die, especially when a man that you do not know has a knife against your naked body and he gives you your last rights to be murdered. And I really thought this was it and I was going to, going to die. And when he asked me what my last rights were, I looked up into the sky and I started to visualize the gates of heaven opening. And I guess this was the first point in which I started to realize that the power of mind shift can take you places that you never thought possible. I was ready for death and a calm came over me. I survived this ordeal. I survived this ordeal simply by a miracle saving my life because I, I had a calm and a power over me to negotiate my release. I have a book coming out, Voiceless No More, um, and this should be in bookshelves around the world uh, in about a year or so. Um, and there is nothing harder in this world than to, than to try and pick up your life again first after, you know, first going through what your uncle did to you and then what your cousin did to you and then what a person that you love did to you and then a stranger doing that to you because, you know, you start to feel like you're absolutely worthless and there's no, 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 no meaning for your life because you're just a piece of trash, you know. But I picked myself up again and decided to, 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 get through life as best as I could. A year later, I gave birth to a child born from rape. And this was the point in which my life started to turn around because now I was not just living for myself, I was living for this child, although not conceived through ways that, you know, I would have liked to have been conceived, still feeling his heartbeat in my stomach made me feel that I was loved and that I had a sense of purpose and this purpose was to be the best version of myself because I had to feed my child even though education was robbed from me because I had plans of being a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an engineer. Uh, all, all that was robbed of me and I couldn't even get a job at McDonald's because I, one, had no self-esteem, two, had no sense of self-love and three, I had a baby that I had to take care of. So instead of trying to even apply for a job at McDonald's and getting rejected, I decided to come up with a business idea. Find a need, fill a need. I felt that there was a need 
for women that were or girls that were probably being abused themselves but you know weren't able to articulate it or weren't able to come out in the open so I thought if I created a beauty pageant the Miss India International Beauty Pageant that maybe I would meet like-minded girls and I'd be able to empower them through my shows and get them to to come whatever journey that they were going through with zero startup and a baby in my hand I had this business idea and this business dream and my first show pulled in 4000 people at the Queen's Bridge Hotel um which was the largest venue in the southern hemisphere at that time and I made my first $100,000 that was the day that I started to take power into my hand and became um who I am today I can't even think of the words to fathom the the experiences that you've been through and so traumatic and so challenging um both physically and emotionally you you know we kind of hear quite often when people are at a point where they're close to death with numbness come across them is that something that you you can get that same feeling of calmness in your life now or was that just at one of those peak moments where it was just we were life or death i always have that calmness coming over me when i feel tragedy is going to strike me um life always evolves and as it evolves we will go through different challenges um and so i've i've encountered different challenges in my life and you know a recent challenge was a talk that i did in africa last year in october on my way to africa we had a stopover in the middle east and when we had that stopover in the middle east unfortunately for us uh for my cameraman and for my assistant an uber driver had picked us up and he ended up being a human trafficker and so he was taking us to the desert lucky for us uh mil- military intelligence had uh come in to help us but when military intelligence came in to help us we were then all of us taken to a middle eastern prison uh a holding bay so that they could interview all of us now i had also broken the law while i was in the middle east because as i saw the military intelligence and all the the, the you know everybody swarm in i was so overwhelmed and i didn't know what to do so i actually took out my my phone and started recording just some sort of evidence and when you're recording military official you're breaking the law. Um so I was then up for a charge for breaking the law in the Middle East. I was in prison or I was in the jail holding cell with my assistant and my cameraman. He was in the male section and I was in the female section and I was there from about 7 till about 11:30 p.m. No food, no drink and I had left five children at home in Melbourne. didn't know what my fate was going to be of, of course my phones were taken off me so i couldn't even call my husband to tell him that i was safe and again a calm came over me i thought to myself how much stress can my body really take now i 
you know, I thought being kidnapped when I was younger was was the pinnacle of my life, the worst experience. But all of a sudden, I'm in the Middle East, and I don't know if I'm going to get out of this holding cell, and I don't know what my fate lies. And then to find out that we were literally minutes away from being human trafficked, being thrown in a sex slavery ring, and my cameraman being beheaded. The only amazing thing that I can say from this entire ordeal was that when military intelligence found us, they also found the evidence of over 300 people that were gagged, murdered, burnt, video footage of all these people. And so this human trafficking ring had actually been stopped because of what had happened. I guess the moral of the story is, yes, there is a calm to everything. Although I am very, I do get very stressed and I, and I do suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder because who wouldn't suffer from that? But the point of the story is that it doesn't matter what happens in your life. Ultimately, you must trust that, that you know, things maybe happen for a reason. And maybe there are good things that come out of it. And for me, the good thing was that 350 women, you know, and men were found. The, the evidence of them, even though they were murdered, at least their families can be put to rest knowing that there's an answer to these missing people. In terms of my kidnap, the amazing thing is that now I can actually make change and I have the courage to talk about it and to tell people that there is no obstacle that they can overcome. So everything happens for a reason. You've got an amazing resilience uh, to be able to cope with all these remarkable experiences and, and life-changing experiences. And it's, it's just a, a real beauty to see that you've got that courage and strength to move on and to test yourself in different ways. So we'll digress a little bit here into, you know, you talked about starting your own businesses. You know, did you go to, did you do some like online learning? Did you do, go to a physical polytech? Did, did you learn from someone else? How did you learn those business and entrepreneurship skills? I didn't have any luxury to go to school at that time because I was then having a baby. Uh, I had had a child and no time. Uh, no, I had to kind of just wing it. I had to to learn business on my own. I, I remember the time when I had got into this mini bar piccolo business. I didn't even know how to make a cup of coffee. And customers would come to me. They would be asking me for latte. And I'd be like, how do I make a latte? Um, I just had to wing it and... There were a lot of unhappy customers, but you know what? At the end, they loved my spirit and they, they fell in love with me. And I think in business, the product should always be good, but it's always selling the service first before the product because people will remember how you made them feel. That's the number one thing. That, that people sells, not products, is, you know, we see it in some of our management books and, and business things, but it is so, so true. It's that, it's that I suppose effect that you have on people that really makes a difference on on the relationships that you build and, and obviously the success that you have from a business point of view. Yes, definitely. So how, um, you know, for you, so what was your most proudest moment as an entrepreneur? I think the proudest moment would have to be when I had finished a talk in the Philippines and uh, there was thousands of people there listening to me talk. 
And when I finished that talk, I had received a standing ovation. I um, I had to leave the stage to go outside, and there was another speaker that was supposed to come on, but literally everyone in that room also got up and walked out with me, and before you knew it, there was a queue of like 2,000 people all wanting to hug me and take photos with me, um, kind of upstaged the whole event. But that was a really, really, really nice, beautiful, proud moment for me to know that I had impacted those lives that I'd heard me speak. And, and that... It must feel amazing to, to be in that moment and just see them, the uprising of their soul there yes. and go, you know what, I can believe in myself to do something. Yes, I had actually my last trip in Africa, I just was there four weeks ago, um, I had the most beautiful experience, another experience in which I did a talk and the whole room of course gave me standing ovations, which is really nice, I was very, very touchy. You never know if you're going to get one and if you don't get one, it's fine. You know, as long as you touch someone's soul. But the whole room um, started to pray. And that entire room actually stood up and they prayed for a good 10 minutes. That was a really nice feeling. And I started to cry because I was so touched. You know, you've got an ability to move people with your story and the way you present and in your beautiful soul and lovely smile. So how would you define your leadership style and... I suppose what you like most about working with people in a team when, with your businesses or your previous businesses? I think my leadership style would be one that respects everyone. You know, um, I think that if you're in a room um, and you've got the person who's actually uh, cleaning the dishes of the plates, I think sometimes they're the ones that need to be respected the most. You have to respect respect the people that work right at the bottom level because without them you know uh, your infrastructure wouldn't wouldn't last um, I don't don't like ego and I think that everybody has a heart and a soul you know if I was to cut my hand and cut your hand we both have red blood you're not gonna have yellow blood now I'm not gonna have blue blood um, so I think if we treat everyone as human beings and that everyone has a story and I like to treat everyone that works with me um, um, as, as family members and that they all have a vested interest in this business, um, that's what is the most successful way to run a business. That common purpose, yes. right? That's so crucial and having that buy-in to that common purpose is, yes. is so valuable and you know, you face an extremely challenging upbringing that, that stripped your soul, it's crushed your dreams. It blonded your view of the world. What did you learn from overcoming these obstacles that has really defined your approach to life and what you've achieved? The one thing that I've learned is that nothing happens by accident. Everything happens as it should and that you need to trust the universe, that the universe works for you. It's how you look at things that matter. You know, if you have a snake bite, not that bite that actually kills you, it's the venom. Yes. The venom that actually kills you. So things happen in your life. You know, people will hurt you, people will leave you, um, people will harm you, um, you will fail at, at things that you, you want to try and make succeed. But if you let that venom absorb you and consume you, that's what's going to make you die. The number one thing I feel is 
you need to check your spirit and you need to make sure that you um, that you trust as if everything works in your favor and if you have that mindset then there's absolutely nothing that can get you down no adversity can come in your way yeah that's that, that real it's just believing it's just you know that that will come out you're going to be better there are greater opportunities ahead for you so it's such, such a great approach yes your, your ability to resonate with people who have faced adversity and to speak from the heart must allow you to create some really, really powerful responses, as, as you mentioned before, about people standing up, people wanting to pray, um, people wanting to give you a hug. How do you cope in those situations to ensure you stay calm, relaxed, and focus on the personal people who need you to be stronger that moments of vulnerability? Yes. Or do you feel it's important that you allow yourself to be very vulnerable at that moment as well and share your emotions. It's really important for me to share my emotions and um, to, to look at them all as individuals that need love just as much as I needed love. One of the assignments that I took on was when I was working in the Philippines and I was talking to uh, 13, 14 and 15 year old girls that had been abused by their fathers and their brothers and then they were thrown into this home because nobody wants to know them, you know, once you're carrying a baby born from these sort of circumstances. And I was there to, to do a talk. And I remember I, I said to the organizers, I, I can't do a talk to, to, you know, all these girls in one room just like this. Give me a room and I need each girl one-on-one. -on -one. And I don't care how long it takes me, but I need to touch their souls. And so each girl would walk into the room and all I would do was take them into my arms cradle them give them the biggest hug and tell them that they're loved and tell them that they're beautiful and tell them that that they are worth everything and and i think with my audiences and the people that i relate with every day in my world i think if you can see people um you know coming from eyes of love and forgiveness and empathy and understanding um it makes the world of difference and sort of going on from that, I think sometimes we see a lot of people that look like they have everything in the world. Yes. They look like, you know, they might have a career, they look successful, they drive a nice car, but they also need this. Yes. They also need to know that someone loves and cares them Definitely. and believes in what they do. Definitely. They may not always show it, but they do. And there's a lot of people that kind of hide their emotions or their feelings or their thoughts inside, don't they? People hide behind their mask. I mean, if you look at me, you would never be able to know that I was abducted and almost murdered, that I've almost been human trafficked with my team, that I was sexually abused as a child. You know, we all, we all, um, we all have a mask. And, and for me, sometimes I find it really difficult because it's not like I'm walking around with, with no arms or no legs or um, you, you can't actually see the scars, the scars that my mind has had to carry. And so people will discriminate in ways that, oh, you know, what does she know? Or she looks fine. But no, uh, I've had to put in a lot of hard work to get to the point that I'm at. A lot of education um, and, and, and ways to manage the sadness that might come my way. And so I think even people out there, CEOs, uh, non-CEOs, doesn't matter who you are, people hide 
behind their mask. Yeah, so in that pursuit of happiness to, to get away from that mask, it's something that people really, really strive for. How do you bring that other people? Like, what, what do you think is the first step people need to, to take to allow that to occur? Firstly, don't be ashamed of the life that they've lived. Uh, don't feel like they need to hide behind anything. Be proud to talk about your adversities. Be proud to wear those adversities on your sleeves. Not to ask for pity, because I do believe pity is poison. But I don't think people um, should feel ashamed to talk about the adversities that I've gone through, because if only people realize that the adversities is the very thing that makes them beautiful, that makes them unique, that makes them resilient, that makes them strong, um, and how they've overcome these adversities. The more people talk about challenges that they face, uh, the more we can actually help each other to grow. To say, you know what, you're not alone because I understand your pain because I've been through this, just like you've been through that. Or, do you know? Yeah. I would like to read a quote of yours. I was consistent in the pursuit of my dream. I am proof that a person can prevail against seemingly insurmountable circumstances if they have the perseverance and the right mindset. And I think we've kind of stumbled across this already, but what does the right mindset involve? The right mindset involves a lot of hard work. It, it requires focus, it requires education. Um, one thing that I do is hydrotherapy. So I have a pool at home and, uh, and I swim in winter, I swim in summer. And when I immerse myself in that water and I get lost in, you know, and I'm underwater and that cold touches my skin, um, it, it, it changes the way I think because uh, hydrotherapy is really, really good for your brain. Neuroplasticity, you know, focusing on your thoughts um, rather than getting into uh, negative talk or negative chitter-chatter with other people. Spend the time to, to watch a YouTube video about a resilient mindset. Motivate yourself. Exercise. You know, these are the things that I, that I do. Not to look good, but simply for my mind to stay healthy and feel fit. Yeah, so, you know, I suppose digressing from that is a little bit around having goals is such an important part. Do you think that self-confidence is possibly the biggest barrier or inhibitor to people actually achieving their dreams and goals? Yeah. Uh, I, yes. Yes, it would have to be self-confidence because if you're worrying about everyone around you and what they think... Uh, then yes, that would affect your self-confidence. But if you really didn't care about what people have to think and say about you and how they perceive you, then you would go ahead and you would do whatever it is that makes you happy. And you, if, you know your, if you know your why, why you need to do this, why you need to make this happen, then you will know your how as, you know. Um, so self-confidence is a major, major part of it. And the number one step is to forget everybody around you and, and, and how they perceive you. Yeah, that's a really good insight. 
You're a committed philanthropist and human rights supporter. Can you please share with your listeners some insights into the incredible work that you do with the Lisa Pavlakos Foundation? What's it about? What What is its purpose and what how does it achieve its goals? Well, I'm aiming to um, create an online school in which people in slums and impoverished areas all around the world um, have an opportunity to do um, online education, basic, basic foundation education. I wasn't able to finish my education um, because of circumstances that happened in my world at that time. And so I feel that, you know, when I go to different countries and I see people in poverty areas, I think the first step of empowerment is is being able to finish something, finish a course, and educating themselves. You know, I've been to the slums of Marco Co, where uh, women there have, have uh, clothing alterations businesses that they've set up. But, you know, they make $5 and then they spend $4.50 because finally they've got money in their hand. So I want to set up this so that they understand the foundations of running a small business, basic customer service, so that within the slums, um, they get to um, have a strong business and employ people uh, to work with them and and change the status of the slums. I love the idea. It's very, very special. And you're going to continue to touch so many more hearts and, and souls around the world to inspire them. So... I really congratulate you on Thank you on very that. Much. You have a beautiful family of five children. Yes. What are the core values that have defined your life as a mum, bringing up your children? Negotiating skills, being able to manage, uh, you know, the wars that happen between my two sons, between Xbox and PlayStation. <laughs> who gets to play Xbox? Who gets to play PlayStation? With the three girls, you know, negotiating with them, uh, you know, that they don't get. Uh, makeup on my couch the core values really is just enjoying my children and um, making sure I spend time with them communicating with them teaching them that life is much bigger than just them I used to think um, that the school education was the best education one of my sons I he's, he he was educated in, in private school the whole way through um, and so I, my dream was to send my other little children to private school but after visiting the slums, um, I, I said to myself, the most important thing with my kids is um, just that they enjoy life. And, and also, I don't want to give them everything. I want them to be able to appreciate things. And I want them to be able to mix with everybody from diverse cultures. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in a private school education. But I don't want to raise them with a gold spoon. Yep. You know? Um, so my views have changed since traveling. Um, and I think the most important thing with my children is, is just showing love. It's never easy for a mom to leave their kids to go to a different country to talk and then come home and have jet lag. And it's not easy leaving my kids. But they know that mom is doing the best that she can, empowering people. I'm so driven, um, driven by empowering people that's the one thing that makes me happy and it makes sense to all the tragedy that's happened in my life to be able to give back and make change you know you you're giving that those values of ensuring that it doesn't matter what happens you you stand up on your own two feet you bounce back quickly you, you don't dwell on the challenges you face or 
when you get something wrong as a child. So I think you know, it's a it's a great approach to having your children. You're setting such a wonderful model there, and it's not all about you know it's an easy life. No, it's not an easy life, and also because I hear me talk about all the adversities I've been through. It's teaching them that they also can talk about what they've been through, that they don't have to shy away from anything and they don't have to worry about how people perceive them because that's not important. It's how they perceive themselves that's the most important and fundamental thing in in their life. So do you have any habits or rituals that you employ to ensure that when you get up each day and that you're the best person you can be? First things first, I wake up first thing in the morning and it's really important for me to cook my dinner. So I take out the dinner from the night before, the meat is all thawed out, um, so that when my kids come home from school, there's food. Um, I make sure I go to the gym um, and I train. I'm not running huge marathons and I'm not um, I'm not so focused on um, losing weight as such, but more just going to the gym and doing something for myself and having just a little bit of exercise, going swimming, going for walks, listening to music. That is my number one thing, listening to music because lyrics from words can just transport you to another world. Reading books. Um, so these are the rituals that I do. And you talked about traveling quite a lot around the world and, yeah. and that's obviously a big challenge. And do you really notice that when you don't get to exercise or you you don't get to listen to your music, that your day is any different or you or you're able to find energy other ways to get yourself up well, and ready music, to go? Um, exercise, I always make sure I, I, I have a trainer um, in that country that I'm at just so I can just do a little bit of training, if not just going on the treadmill on my own. The one thing that I struggle with when I'm away in different countries is all the beautiful food that's in front of me. Breakfast, you will see lots of rice and all these different options. But, you know, everything in moderation. Moderation is key. That is. So we all know smart people have great answers. Yes. But the best people have great questions. Yes. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? First time. The last time. Well, four weeks ago when I was in Nigeria, I was uh, going with my assistant and my cameraman, um, a whole team of us, we were traveling to uh, a TV show. We were running late and the uh, driver ran out of fuel. So my team said, bye. In order to get there on time, we have to jump on motorbikes. You don't do this in Nigeria. You don't just jump on a motorbike. And to be honest, it was one of the most refreshing feelings in the world just to do something that you would not normally do. And just to trust that, um, that you know, you're going to be safe and that everything's going to be okay. Is that being comfortable in the uncomfortable yes and you know obviously you've had to endure that quite often but you know that's when you're most alive I think when you are uncomfortable when it's you're not used to what you're about to do and it brings up all these emotions and it brings up all your energy and you're alert you're you're ready to go so isn't that it's a wonderful experience to do that Often when we can. Definitely. The one thing I need to do is skydiving, but no one wants to come skydiving with me. So, but yes. <laughs> yes, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, 100%. And who has made the greatest impact on your career and why? I would have to say Dr. Wayne Dyer, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, I met him and uh, he's a beautiful, beautiful soul. But I think because he talks so much truth, 
um, and he's not there to really impress anyone and just talk about the wisdom of what he's learnt through life and through his books um, that he's read. I think Dr. Wayne Dyer speaks so much truth about trusting in the universe and he's one man that I, that I really look up to. He's my mentor. That's wonderful. Well, Lisa, this has been an amazing experience. Uh, you have a truly remarkable story, a, a life that has thrown so many obstacles. It has placed you in so many uncomfortable positions. You have been to places that majority of this world will never, ever get to experience. But you have shown and proven that with adversity comes opportunity. And with opportunity, you make the most of that moment and that, that opportunity and be the best version of yourself every day. And I tip my hat off to you. I um, admire what you've been able to achieve and how you're inspiring our other. The more you give, the more you get. And I think you're a true epitome to that. So I, I thank you very much for you so your much. time today and sharing your story and, and your soul and and then hopefully we can inspire a few more people. Well, thank you so much for being that vehicle to allowing me to speak and allowing so many people to hear this story. Um, I'm really, really appreciative and, and grateful. And it's been such a pleasure to meet you and to be on your show. So thank you so much. But most importantly, I must thank my, my beautiful friend Ndidi who, who connected us. Um, Indeed, inspires me every day. Uh, she's the one who taught me about the magic of Kairos. When things happen, the, you know, um, the magic of life just happens and you just embrace it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ndidi, for allowing me to meet um, this beautiful man in front of me. And yeah. Cool. Well, thank you and all the best for the rest of your journey. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Today's active CEO wellness tip is talking about getting active within the workplace. Uh, we all know, Craig, that it's really easy just to get stuck at your desk for way too long period of time. And just a, a simple notion of moving, standing up, you know, really alleviates simple things like back pain, lower leg pain, those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, how often do you hear that, that someone's got chronic back pain in, in the workplace? You know, that you, you're sitting in one position, your hip flexors aren't working. Uh, generally, you're positioned in a way where your muscles that support the back aren't activating. They become lazy, so then it starts putting stress on on, both, on your spine and, and nervous system. And that's even before you move into the whole bad posture, uh, sitting in a, a seat and slumping in a seat and slumping over the computer and neck pain and then eye strain and all those sorts of little things that come with it. And that's just really a byproduct of just sitting there for too long. So we really got to advocate, just up, move around the office place, engage with people within the office place. I know we've spoken about that before, but there's just a little bit more to it on this one. Yeah, so it all leads, you know, muscle deterioration starts to occur too when, when you're sitting, and especially if you are someone that works in really, really long hours, doesn't exercise much, may just jump straight in the car and drive home and sit on the couch. And you can have major effects when you get older. Like it catches up with you it takes a while to catch up with you and when it does it hits you pretty hard and then you take the risk of um, ha having some quite serious injuries when you get older or you know go into the health issue as yeah, well definitely. definitely and we all know that uh, once it's caught up to you it's really hard to re rewind that process so it's better to think about it small ports small portions all the time so to speak yeah and there's nothing worse than you're know, having stiff joints 
you know, finding it difficult to move, especially when, you know, you've got someone who's really active that comes with you and you're, you're going off to dinner or, and, and you're huffing and puffing just to keep up with them and then you're struggling to have a decent conversation and, you know, that, that can have a, a really big detrimental effect on your mental health as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important that we pay attention to how long we're sitting at the desk and ensuring that we're just being more active in that workspace. Well, that was a, an amazing and very confronting interview with Lisa Pavlokos. Uh, what, what a phenomenal lady to go through so much adversity and, and the resilience that she showed through um, many, many challenges that no one, most of us will never ever face or even be confronted with. You know, she talked about her life being sexually abused, uh, physically abused, being abducted as a youngster but finding that strength in that very calm moment when she was at that knife edge of about to die and also wanting to live. And, you know, we quite often hear that where people are on their deathbed and this calmness comes across them. And for some reason, they're able to get themselves out of that. But she has showed that, that belief, that resilience from that, that you can go on and to achieve big things. Uh, you don't often hear of people being able to start businesses with zero money, being homeless, just had their first ever baby, and, and look, her first baby was by rape too, so in very challenging conditions, and being able to bring in $100,000 on her first project, which wasn't in Australia where she lives, it, it was overseas, and it was for women to feel great about themselves who, who have nothing, um, and then to to continue from there and take on businesses, you know, her f- and, and where she had no skills and just learned it on the fly, but it was her compassion and humility and just her personality that people stuck with her and were, were acceptable to her making mistakes. Um, and then to go right through life and set herself up and be able to talk to the world about what she's been through and how that has helped her become a great leader, how that has helped her become a a wonderful mother, providing great values to her children, and then go through something which she had never spoken about, and that was about human trafficking and what was involved in that process and how that unearthed a whole lot of people that had been killed by this group of people, and, and they had video footage of it. It's just unreal, and she, she gave her heart and soul around what it was like in that moment and how she got herself out of that very, very tricky situation. So I look, I feel my heart feels so, so strong and, and so comforting in seeing her and seeing what she's achieving now and what she's doing to make a difference to many people around the world who, have a, who are less fortunate than what we are. So I think a big take home out of this is never ever think that you've whatever situation you are in is holding you back from where you want to go. You've got to be able to step out of that and go, you know what, I can achieve. If I believe in myself, I can be exceptional. That's the Active CEO podcast for this week. It's where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. 
That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.